Minasan konnichiwa and welcome to the Board Game Dojo. My name is Eric. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Whether it's your first time listening, you listen to every episode or somewhere in between, it means the world to us that you have taken time out of your day to listen to us. Seriously, we are such a small podcast and small YouTube channel. And the fact that you have spent some of your day Taking the time to listen to us means the world to us, no matter how many times that I say it. Today, we have a kind of oops, all card game episode because we have three card games for you. First, we have the two player shedding game, Ptolemy. Then, we'll follow that up with the two player trick taking game, Hipparchus. And finally, we will get to the spiritual successor to Jekyll versus Hyde, Dracula versus Van Helsing. Last week, we had two YouTube video reviews, and then we have a video that is going up that's kind of like a casual Essen anticipation episode. One of those video reviews is for My Best Chef, which you heard us talk about on the podcast last week. But the other one is Hyena Hero Wants to Slack Off, which I think is a nice little indie game. If you want to check that out, I will leave the links to both of those below. So now let's get into the game and let's start it off with the two-player shedding game, Ptolemy. Now, before I even get into the game, I suddenly had a lot of Ptolemy in my life. I read the manga Chi. I was recommended it from Sumachan. And then somebody recommended that we play the game Ptolemy. So I went from not hearing about Ptolemy at all since high school science to suddenly having a lot of Ptolemy in my life. But that is neither here nor there. Let us get into the game. Ptolemy is a two-player shedder, as I said before. So the goal of the game is to get rid of your hand. Now, your hand consists of cards that both have a planet on it and a number. The number dictates how many spots you can move the planet on the board. Yes, there is a board. Half of the board is going up, half of the board is going down. The way that you'll move the planets is that you'll move it going up, and then once it reaches the top, you'll circle back around and go down the other side, and then when you get to the bottom of the other side, you bring it back around, and so on and so forth. Now, there are rules about which cards you can play. If somebody has already played a planet to that meld, to that trick, if you want to call it, then you cannot play the same planet. As well, the planet that you move has to end up being at least the highest on the board, if not higher. So if you can only move a planet and it will not end up being the highest one on the board, then you can't play that card. You will have to pass. There is one special card, the Eclipse card, in which instead of moving the planet up, you will just switch the spots between the planet and the Eclipse. But for the most part, you now know all of the rules of the game. You win the round by getting rid of your hand, and it's the first to win two out of three rounds wins. So let me start off by not even burying the lead here. This is probably the best two-player shedder that I've played. Uh, okay, hold on. Maybe that in Haggis. But I also don't know how high of praise it is because I don't know how many two-player shedders I've actually played. But I say that because I think that this game perfectly accentuates what makes a shedder a shedder. You will feel the highest of highs that you normally play when playing a shedder, but you will also feel the excruciating lows that can happen when you play a shedder too. Let me explain. But first, let me explain the production quality of this one, because I think it's actually better than it needs to be, which is a happy thing. Like, I'm tired of having to make excuses of poor card quality, and maybe that's because we talk about a lot of dojin games here on the channel, but this one has pretty nice production quality. But going to the gameplay itself, you start the game off by feeling free. You have so much choice. Look at how much I can do. Look at all the planets that I can research and move around on the board. This is fun. And then the more it goes, the more limiting each card feels. It starts from a game of what do I want to do to best go at my opponent? Look at how much choice I have to what is the thing I can do because I might only be able to do one thing. I've been cornered. But at the same time, that is the goal. It's the kind of 
set yourself up so that you can corner your opponent into either only being able to do one thing or not being able to do something at all. And then being able to daisy chain those together. Aha, this time I have you cornered. You can't do anything. Okay, I pass. Okay, aha, now I got you again. You can't do anything. Okay, pass. And you can keep going on. And that's what I mean. You can feel the highest of highs because you can feel very clever. This this game gives you chances to make good moves, especially with the circling mechanic in which you might think that, okay, hold on, how can I get this planet to be the highest one on the board? Oh, if I have it circle around, then it'll end up being the highest one on the board. So there's a chance for those moves, but there's also the chance that you are going to feel absolutely defeated because somebody has you completely boxed in and there's not really a whole lot that you can do about it. So saying that, I do not think that this is a game for somebody that is new to Shedders. It is going to accentuate too many of the lows that come with the bad feelings of being boxed in and not being able to do anything. If somebody doesn't already know the strategies or really how to play a shedder well, then they're not really going to be able to defeat somebody who is more experienced with shedders. It just doesn't lend itself to that one. It's tactical. It's strategic. And although the rules are not very hard to grasp, it is on the lighter side in terms of rule sets, it is pretty hard to at least do pretty well in this game. And of course, you do have the thing that if you have a bad hand and it just doesn't work out for you, then you're also not going to do very well. And so you do have to watch out for that. If you get a hand of just the same planets, then uh, there's going to be a lot of passing that you're going to need to do. But speaking of the same planet, we should also talk about the advanced rules that come in this game because they do have some interesting wrinkles in it. The most interesting one, I think, is the what is called like immersive investigation, which changes the fundamental rule of the game. Instead of only being able to play a planet once, you can only play one planet for the duration of the meld. And instead of trying to be the highest, you're trying to get it to be the lowest on the board. And I think that it's just a nice little wrinkle that's, you don't need to play with the advanced rules every single time. And there's a couple other things you need to throw in there too. But I do think it's fun enough that every other game I usually play with the advanced rules instead of the normal rules. So overall, I don't know, maybe I was being a bit hyperbolic earlier, but I think that this is a really solid, really good two-player shedding game that I recommend if you already know that you like shedders. And that is Ptolemy, designed by GNL, and that is self-published. Sticking with the same designer, we are now going to a two-player trick-taking game called Hipparchus. Now, opening the box and dealing out the cards, you're going to find that this game looks a little bit different because you're going to have cards in different suits, but you're not going to have any numbers on them. First off, you should know that you cannot rearrange your hand. Yes, it is one of those kinds of games, a la Scout and Delt. But the number of the same suit that you have together in a set, which is kind of the cards that you have next to each other in your hand, determine the numeric value of that set. So if you have three of the yellow suit that in your hand together, then that counts as a three. You will choose which set you want to play together and you cannot play if they are like in two different spots in your hand, you cannot play them together. You can only play ones that are together in a set already in your hand. Once you play them to the table, the other player needs to follow playing the same suit, but they cannot play the same number. So if you play two yellow, the other player cannot play a two yellow. They can play a three, they can play a one. If they cannot play the same suit, then they can play a different suit. But the interesting thing is, is that because they cannot play the same amount, sometimes then they can't play that suit. So maybe you play a one yellow and they go, well, 
I only have a yellow one and I can't play that. So then they need to play another suit, even though they could have followed in the same suit to begin with because numeric value is more important. Now, the important thing is how you take tricks and how you score at the end of the round, because if both players play the same suit, then it's as normal trick taking rules. The person who plays the highest value takes the trick. But if a different suit needs to be played, it's whoever played the lower numeric value takes the trick. And here's the thing. You want to make sure both players take some of each suit because how the end game scoring works is really, really interesting. At the end of the round, you will take a look to see who has won more cards of each suit and you will get points based on how many of that suit the other player got. So let's say that I won five yellows and my opponent won zero yellows. I won all of the yellow tricks that round. Well, actually, great for me that I won the yellow, but I don't get any points because the other player didn't have any. But if they won three blues and I won two blues, well, they win the blue suit and they get two points for my two. So you want to make sure that you are winning enough to win the suit, but you want to make sure that the other player is winning enough that you will get lots of points. And I have seen something like this before in startups. And now is where we're going to start our review of this game because I think that this is such a great two-player trick-taking game. This is going to be one of those games that I'm going to grab off my shelf quite often. Once I get myself a copy at Essen, I've only played it on PCIO right now, so I can't really talk about the component quality or anything, and I'm really sorry about that. I do try to weigh in on that kind of stuff when I can. I just haven't been able to get myself a copy, but I'm so excited for it because, oh, man, I love the brain burniness of this. I always loved that part of startups where you want to try to win enough and make other people pay you money because they couldn't buy into the company as much as you and you're the big dog. But it feels like you're doing something similar in a trick-taking game, which is something that I can't really remember seeing before. And maybe it is out there and I just don't know about it or I'm just not remembering at the moment of recording. But I think it is such a clever twist. And because there are only two players, then it makes this actual mechanic, this actual method of scoring work to its fullest because I'm constantly trying to think about what the other player has. Do I take a risk and try winning a bunch of yellows? And if I see the other player winning a bunch of yellows, am I going to just try to let them win all of the yellows or as many yellows as I can? Because now I'm like, okay, I think I have to give up on trying to win yellows this round and I don't want them to get points. So I'm going to try to make it so that I can give them as many yellows as possible while I'm going to try to go for blue and green. But both players are thinking exactly the same thing. It's almost like there's a retreat mechanism that you have to constantly be on the lookout for. I want them to think that they can win for as long as possible so that they keep trying to win it and I can get more points. And I think that that is just a brilliant mechanic that works phenomenally well for a two-player trick taker. This is going to be towards the upper echelon, if not the upper echelon of two-player trick-taking games for me. And even just talking to you about it now makes me want to play it again. And that is Hipparchus, also designed by GNL and also self-published. 
Well, apparently this is actually just like a GNL-themed episode because even though this next game wasn't designed by them, this is the spiritual successor of GNL's probably most popular work, Jekyll vs. Hyde, and this is Dracula vs. Van Helsing. As the name implied, one player is going to be playing Dracula and one player is going to be playing as Van Helsing, and both of these players have different endgame goals to win the game. Dracula is trying to convert four villagers in one of the five sections on the board, if they can convert four villagers in any one section on the board, then they immediately win. They also win by just running the clock down to zero. Van Helsing wins, on the other hand, if they can get rid of 12 health points towards Dracula. Now, I've started with the endgame scoring just because I think that's important to can keep it in your head as I tell you how the game is played. Each player will have five cards in your hand, and these will represent the five different districts. Now, these will be different suits. There are four suits in the game, and they range from one to eight in value. On the player's turn, they will pick up a card from the top of the pile, and they can either switch it with a card that is in their hand, or they can discard that card. If they choose to switch it with a card in their hand, the card in their hand goes to the discard. Whatever card you choose to discard, you will then get to use the power that is on that card. And there's eight different powers that are on the card. It might be switching two different spots of cards in your hand. It might be switching a card with an opponent. It might be changing the trump suit. Oh yeah, there's a trump suit. Because these four suits will be in different ranks. There'll be one trump suit, and then the other three will be ranked. And this is how you will determine what is going to happen at the end of the round. Once at least six cards have been discarded, either player can call an end to the round, in which case the other player will get to have one more turn. Then each player will need to show the card that is opposite of each other, and they will need to base whose card is higher. The first most important thing is if somebody played a trump card, in which case if both players play a trump card, then the highest value wins, but if only one player played the trump card, then that card wins. The next most important thing is the numerical value. And this is, took me a little bit to figure out because I'm so used to like having suit dominance be the next biggest thing, but it's actually a numeric value is next. So if one player plays an eight and the other player plays a six, the player played the eight wins. Only in the case of a numeric tie do you go to the strengths of the suits. If Van Helsing beats Dracula's card, then Dracula loses one health points. Remembering that if Dracula loses 12 health points, then Van Helsing wins. If Dracula wins, then they get to turn a villager that is in that section of the board to a vampire. Remembering that if they turn four villagers in one section into a vampire, then they win. If neither player has one and the round timer hasn't hit zero, then you will play another round. And that is how you play Dracula versus Van Helsing. And let me tell you, the first time I played it, first of all, I just played it completely wrong, which is just my bad. But actually, even the couple times that I played it after that, I wasn't really sure how I felt about that. I felt like it was going to be another one of those Jekyll versus Hyde games where I just kept waiting for it to get better. And it just never did. I never felt quite as excited about the game as other people did. But actually, this one has. This one I'm actually really excited about. The first thing that is just a dominant positive point in my mind is that constant tension of trying to figure out which card you want to discard every time. Because as you can probably imagine, the higher cards that are better numeric values also have better discard powers, like changing the trump suit is a seven, which is going to be the second highest value card. So I really want that in my hand, but at the same time, I'm looking at my hand and seeing that I have none of the trump suit. So I very much like that switched. 
whereas the one is a pretty useless card in terms of numeric value. But if you discard a one, then you have to actually show one of the cards in your hands to the opposing player, which you very much don't want to do. So that right away is a tough decision. But there's just also the timing aspect of everything too. When the game begins, you don't really know what you're going to do yet, especially when you're the Dracula player, because you're looking at the board and going, okay, well, I just need four villagers in one section, but right now I really am not aiming for one section. And so Van Helsing knows that too. Van Helsing knows that like, okay, these early rounds, I just need to get rid of as many health points from Dracula as possible because they're not going to go particularly for one area or the other. But the longer the game goes, not only are you getting closer to that last round timer in which case Dracula would win, but also Dracula has most likely already turned a couple villagers into vampires. And once that second villager in an area turns into a vampire, that area becomes tense. And both players are going to try to make the card that represents that area as good as possible. And then if a third villager goes, oh man, it, the tension just dials up to 11 because you know at any one end of round, the game could be over. And so finally, that final aspect is when to call the end of the round because once that sixth card is discarded, both players looking at each other like, are you ready for the end of the round? Are you ready for the end of the round? I'm not going to call it. Oh, or maybe I am because maybe I have such good cards already. It's just there's so many underlying factors that are working on here, building a nice tension that works really, really well that I think only kind of uncovers itself after you've played a couple times. And this game isn't super long, so it won't take you very long to play, but it really only unearths itself from its coffin after a couple of plays. Now, one question that I think you have to ask yourself is, do I have somebody that I want to play this with a couple of times? Because as... It is nice to have a game that you can grow with and grow to appreciate the more you play it. There's also that aspect of maybe you will like this game and then if you're gonna keep introducing it to somebody new, well, they're gonna take a couple games to get used to it. And it really does it really does go towards the player who is more familiar with the game that is going to win this one just because you have more familiarity with what cards do and what cards have certain powers and when to use those powers and in what situations and what's a good early game strategy versus how you need to change that late game strategy around. So I think the best part would be if you have one or two players that you know that you're going to play this with a bunch of times. I think that that is where this game is going to work out the best, but I do think that it is good enough that even if you don't think that you will have a consistent partner to play it with, and maybe you want to introduce it to a couple of new people in the next couple of months, I do still think that it is worth getting because I really do think that this game is fun. And maybe I'm just really positive because this is three out of three games that I'm just really positive on today. And maybe it's just the excitement towards Essen that I'm just feeling this general positivity about gaming in, in the first place right now. And the fact that we had two really positive YouTube reviews last week, but I am excited to play this more. I'm actually excited to play it with my gaming partner and learn exactly what they think, what their strategies are. How do they play Dracula? How do they play Van Helsing? And I think that those kind of games in which you can learn more about the person you play with and how they think about games, as well as you're exploring the mechanisms of a single game, makes for a really good two-player game. And that is Dracula versus Van Helsing, designed by Maxime Ramburg and Théo Rivière. The artist is Weberson Santiago, and it's published by Mandu Games.
Well, that is going to do it for this accidentally two-player-centric, kind of Geonil-centric episode of the Board Game Dojo. If, again, you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends about it. We would so, 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 so appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time, jane.